Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Inauguration Day. The sun set and the sun has risen again. I'll just think about that. The sun set and the sun has risen again. Tomorrow, God willing, the same will be true. The sun will set, the sun will rise again. The sun has uh, set on the 45th presidency of this nation. We, we call, uh, we call it America. And the sun rises today on what we will call the 46th presidency of the nation we call America. One little interesting factoid from history. Uh, Even though Joe Biden becomes the 46th president to be sworn into office, he's he's only the 45th person to take the oath. All right, just think about that for a second. How is that possible? Well, because Grover Cleveland served twice um, but not in immediate succession of himself. So there you go. Uh, and so Grover Cleveland took the took the oath twice, and um, therefore we are like missing a number. Anyway, it's kind of cool. All right, uh, Joe Biden becomes the forty fifth person in all of human history to take the oath to faithfully discharge the office, not under the divine right of kings, but by the consent of the governed. Let us uh, see that today for the extraordinary thing that it is. Uh, There will be many, many days ahead upon which we will view with scrutiny the policies of the incoming Biden administration. The things they intend to pursue grieve me in many ways, on many fronts. We've already highlighted several that grieve the spirit against which we will press ourselves as Christians of conscience. But today... Today, um, we recognize the extraordinary nature and the resiliency of our republic. So, uh, who will be uh, praying today? And uh, who will we be today as prayers are prayed over the incoming administration? Think about that, because there's going to be prayers prayed today that you're going to wonder whether or not you agree with, and so whether or not you could say amen to them. And I want you to sort of acknowledge that in advance. A person is going to place his hand on the Bible. A regular Joe is then going to commit to serve in the position at the head of the executive branch of the most powerful nation the world has ever known. So regardless of our political position, let us be a people who will be found praying for him. That God would grant him all wisdom and courage and fortitude, all discernment and resourcefulness and diplomacy, all grace sufficient to the calling that he answers today. Let us pray that God will send and Joe Biden will follow the counsel of the truly wise, that he would be protected from all evil 
and those who would seek to bring harm to our nation or her people. Let us pray that God would use this time to renew our strength and prepare us for the future he has planned. Let us be a people who go deep in these days. Let us be the people of light in what is always, no matter who is president, a perverse generation. Let us speak blessing today over someone who we know needs it. And let us always remember that our hope is built on nothing and no one else than Jesus Christ. So here I stand, like you. And let us remember that we can do no other, for all all other ground is sinking sand. Bill English is up next from BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Hey, good morning. That was a very inspiring uh, spot that you just did to open up this hour. I Thank you for that. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, on what kind of pillow did you rest your head last night? Believe it or not, it was a my pillow from Mike Lindell. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I'm... Have you ever been to Mankato? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's where he was about, born. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's a he's a Minnesotan. Uh, One of Minnesota's sons, if those of you who are listening are not aware of this, uh, one of Minnesota's sons is Mike Lindell. MyPillow is his his business. He is uh, the person who created the MyPillow, and I feel confident that you have seen a MyPillow ad, uh, particularly if you couldn't sleep in the middle of the night because the MyPillow ads mostly air in the middle of the night when people can't sleep because they have a bad pillow. Okay, so why are we talking about... Mike Lindell and my pillow today. Bill? We are talking about him because he has uh, been a staunch supporter of Trump uh, and uh, trumpeting, no pun intended, the notion that the election was stolen. And so as a result, uh, some of his distribution channels are saying that they're no longer going to carry his pillow because of his political statements and their view that his political statements are patentedly false. He's he's uh, peddling false information, so to speak. We don't want to be associated with him. And this is an increasingly, um, uh, the, the corporate world is starting to become uh, divided along political lines and political ideologies. And Mike Lindell, I think, is one of the first casualties in this. And I think the, one of the things we're seeing you know, today, as the list of outlets who will not be selling my pillow, um, as that list grows, Bed Bath and Beyond, Kohl's, Wayfair. I mean, we're talking about some substantial um, commercial outlets where people go to to buy stuff like pillows. Um, I think it's important, Bill, for us to remember that sometimes when we express our convictions in public, there are real real world, and we say real world here, you know, I'm talking about the business world, real world consequences to those decisions. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be expressing our convictions, but there is a little bit here of counting the cost of what you're out there doing um, and how you're doing it. And this this leads to the notion that consumers are incre- increasingly wanting to know what the owner and the CEO and the company 
supports socially and politically. There is now brand, it's called Brand Purpose. It's been around for a few years. And they want to know what the brand is about. They want to know what the company is about. And they want to buy from companies who believe the way they do. And that's why you're seeing um, corporations, you're seeing NFL teams, you're seeing uh, professional sports teams, uh, television stations, social media platforms. Everybody is getting on a bandwagon. And those who are in the minority are going to be cut out of the uh, not just the public square, but the economic square, so to speak, they're not going to be able to participate. It's going to be harder now for Mike Lindell, for example, to create a distribution channel, right? And and if and if his suppliers don't like what he's saying, they may stop supplying to him because they will be hurt more by customers not buying from them than they will by Mike buying from not being able to buy from them. Uh, this is this is really dangerous territory that we're in when we're combining the economic and the political with the religious, basically. This, this, this yeah. is dangerous areas. Well, and I think that, you know, maybe some some wise counsel here to Christian business owners, um, you know, what's our brand purpose? What bandwagon must we be on? Um, what what is it that we should be known for as Christians in, in in every in in every sector of life, but certainly in the business sector. Yeah, well, no matter what sector, but especially in the business, because there's so much influence there that business owners have. We really should be known first for our faith and allegiance to God, much more than our faith or allegiance to a political philosophy, to a political party, to a social cause, or anything else. And this is where um, I, I want to urge us to not confuse or unnecessarily conflate social issues with theology. Theology stands above and beyond and outside of any of our social or political uh, beliefs. It doesn't say that, um, I, what I'm not saying is that they are distinct and separate, but what I am saying is that, is that they shouldn't be marbled together into the same unit. Uh, theology should inform our social and political activities, but it should stand above and beyond it. Well said. Well said. All right, Bill English and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, I, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 different directions we could go right now. I think let's go in the direction of what some are calling censorship, um, what others are calling, you know, a, a legitimate um, exercise of business in terms of limiting dangerous speech, um, and what some are openly calling, uh, you know, prejudice against conservatives. Can you talk, can you just wade into that? Because we, we certainly have individuals whose speech has now been limited by some corporations on social media Um and, you know, there are certainly lots of conservatives raising um, raising the alarm about that. I don't know. I just want you to – just curious yeah. how you're viewing all of that. Yeah, so I, this isn't in the notes, Carmen, but think back to when Trump was first elected and how the social media platforms were just pummeled by Congress for not having um, uh, policed – what Congress thought was uh, obviously uh, inaccurate and untruthful speech uh, 
mainly by the Russians or by by foreign actors. And that's why uh, Twitter, Trump and or Twitter, Facebook and others got into this whole game of trying to police speech. It's a slippery slope. I don't like the public square being primarily owned, so to speak, by private corporations. Because private corporations are not required to in legally enforce free speech. Uh, and what, what's going to happen here is that uh, a, a place like Parler is going to get stood up by the end of, of January. Conservatives will flock there. That will leave Facebook mainly with liberals. And we'll have a further divide in our country as the public square gets divided along uh, ideological lines. This is a this is a dangerous place for us to be. Um, government is supposed to enforce free speech, but what do you do when the public square is owned privately, and the and those who own it don't have to enforce it? And and by the way, I, what I am using Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms, and I'm saying those are basically our public squares now. You know, you, right, yeah, I'm, you I'm, asked, I'm writing that question down for myself. Um, what do you do when the public square is owned privately? Because that is right. that—that's the point at which we have arrived. I think that's a—that's a good way of framing the question and framing the conversation that we need to be having with one another. Um, so uh, let's talk about the public square as it exists on so, primarily on social media. Those are privately owned companies, and yet that is the place and the space where we are able to. Um, it's the democratization of information for sure, but it's also the democratization of um, uh, of everybody's voice being elevated to the to the same level. Which means that completely uninformed screechers are put on a par with um, people who are genuinely like experts and well informed in particular in particular areas. So I deal constantly with people who are. Um, relying on inaccurate, false information um, that they are trying to put on a par with information that is being supplied by people who actually know what's going on um, and know the background of something and know the law related to something. And um, we're in the room, have an eyewitness testimony to share. And it's hard. It's hard because all of it is put on a par in these um, in these social media environments. People, people tend to believe what they want to believe, and people tend to listen to that which comports to what they already believe. But you have this public square now that is owned privately, and now combine that with the, with the consumers who want to buy services or participate in services from a, from a company that agrees with them, right? And mm -hmm. so – this that's why you're going to see a bifurcation, trifurcation, quadfurcation of social media platforms. By the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of other social media platforms uh, pop up. And these social media platforms are going to be primarily uh, intended to cater to one ideology or another. And that will further divide us. And and look, who is who is the arbiter of truth here? When somebody I, says you're I, I lying, would, I would I would like to be I that I will tell you <laughs> that if that were a job, I would I know I know it's not possible. It's totally arrogant to assume the arbiter of truth has to be has to be God. I mean, he is the truth. And so he, that has. But how do we judge 
what we are reading and hearing against um against God. I mean, that is ultimately the test, but that's hard to do. That's real discernment, and it requires real wisdom. It requires research and wisdom and maturity. You're absolutely right. But in in the public square, go back 200 years to the proverbial public square. If somebody stood up and started uh, uh, saying things that were patentedly untrue, the others would debate. And so to my way of thinking, debate is the way that we arrive at truth. When you divide the ideologies into different public squares, so to speak, different social media platforms, we no longer thoughtfully debate. We now just yell at each other. We're just talking past each other. And we really never, we, we just don't get anywhere. I'm, I'm deeply concerned that Facebook or Twitter thinks it can be the arbiter of truth. That is, yeah. that is not how this is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, that that arbiter of truth conversation is a good one, and we should. Um, I'm making a note of it because that is one I should circle back around, not only with you on, but with, but with others as well. Um, I, I got to tell you, Bill, part of the pressure that I feel is to be present in in all of these places, which is impossible, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't you can't be effectively present um, on on Facebook and Twitter and Snap and. Uh, Instagram and WhatsApp and uh, and Parler and whatever else is going to be developed in the future. And so you have to make a choice about where you interact, what you what feed you read um, and what conversations you contribute to. Um, That is also then um, uh, limiting your own, quote unquote, audience, your ability to influence the conversation being had among others. Uh, is dependent on where you, you know, have your voice platformed and heard. Um, I got to tell you, that is, uh, that's of concern to me as well. So, so many uh, conversations for us to have. Um, I liked your, uh, I liked in the notes that you and I exchanged um, this concept of the flavor of the day hateable. Um, So the flavor, yeah, yeah, the flavor of the day uh, in terms of the hateable one um, is changing. But talk talk with us about uh, the Christian calling in the midst of that. Yeah, let's not hate. Christians don't hate. What do we do? We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We, you know, hate is the, is the root of, of, of murder and anger, Christ. I'm paraphrasing now in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, let's not participate in hate. Let's not be duped by a guy who is increasingly appearing as not in touch with reality, in my estimation, uh, and let's not be lo- known for allegiance to any one party, especially if that party is engaged in hate. And I think both parties are. I mm-hmm. think both parties are engaged in hate these days. Uh, the The flavor of the day will change. Somebody else will be hateable tomorrow. And eventually it's going to be Christians. And that's when we need to really make sure that we are um, not hate-filled, but love-filled people. Yeah. And, and how do we respond um, we don't respond in in like. We don't respond in kind. We respond Correct. in kindness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that whole turning away wrath thing with a with a quiet word. There you go. Isn't that Thank you so much, Proverbs sir. fifteen one. Yeah. Proverbs right? fifteen one. Yeah. I know. There's all. God's got a word for everything. He does. He does. That's why he is. It's he is so spot on all the time because he is the origin of truth. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, Bill English, thank you so much. What a pleasure um, to talk with you today. We look forward to our next conversation. I do too. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. That's Bill English. You can find him at BibleInBusiness.com. We'll be right back. 
so the one thing that maybe is more difficult than discussing Christian convictions in the public square is discussing them with fellow believers with whom we disagree. So I want you to consider that for just a moment. Um, It may seem counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true that the most difficult conversations of the day are not those um, with people across the Jesus-not-Jesus divide, but among those who stand on the same side of the uh, Jesus divide. So, you know, Jesus is the ultimate dividing line. There's no question about that. I think many of us have forgotten that or lost sight of that. Um, There are the saved and there are the lost. That's the ultimate dividing line. Uh, That's the dividing line with which we should be concerning ourselves as evangelical Christians in the world today. The conversations that are the most heated related to um, uh, political and social issues over which we differ um, are most heated right now within the body of Christ, all on one side of that um, ultimate dividing line. They are debates among Christians. So, uh, yes, we have disagreements with non-believers, but our disagreements with fellow believers are actually um, of concern to me right now. So, bringing on Tim Muehlhoff and Richard Langer, they have written a book entitled Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. That conversation up next. This is Max Locato. A prisoner carved these words on the wall of a concentration camp. I believe in the sun, even though it doesn't shine. I believe in love, even when it isn't shown. I believe in God, even when he doesn't speak. What eyes could have seen good in such horror? There's only one answer. Eyes that chose to see the unseen. As the Apostle Paul wrote, we set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. Jesus asks us to make a choice, either live by the facts or to see by faith. When tragedy strikes, we are left to choose what we see. We can see either the hurt or the healer. The choice is ours. This is Max Locato. All right, welcome back. Joining me now, uh, Tim Muehlhoff and Rick Langer. They are the authors of Winsome Conviction. Um, and I think that because one of them is in a bad mood, I'm going to let them introduce one another. So, Tim, introduce Rick. <laughs> see, oh my see how goodness. I redeemed that? There you Carmen, go. That, was, that was awesome. Uh, Rick Langer is uh, one of our top scholars at Biola University. He's the director of our Office of Faith and Learning, and he's the co-director of our newly formed Winsome Conviction Project. Awesome. All right, Rick, now introduce Tim. So, you know, Tim's real claim to fame. He's one of my best friends around here, and he's really cranky because he hasn't gotten his morning <laughs> cup of coffee yet. <laughs> 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 I was not like, outing. I was not outing which among us was cranky. I did not. I, I just would like to point that out uh, at this yeah. point in our conversation about um, uh, about a house divided and then democratic discourse. That's what I feel like we're talking about today. Do I about have it? Mm-hmm. You, 
You've hit it pretty well, yes. Okay, so Rick, let's lead off with this. Since there's a Winsome Conviction project, and we're talking today about the Winsome Conviction book, um, what what is it, and why um, you know why do we need to be engaged in um, in a conversation today about the conversations that we're having and how we're having them? I mean, it, it, why are we talking about how we're talking? Well, I. I think it, you don't have to look very far to see the the level of anxiety and conflict in our in our culture. And Tim and I were thinking about this several years ago. We wrote a book called Winsome Persuasion that was directed to the tension between the Christian culture and the non-Christian culture and kind of failures to communicate the animosity, our inability to persuade. While we were talking about that after we'd written it with, you know, groups that we were speaking to or things like that, we realized one of the guys—I had this experience where a guy was sitting at the table with me and says, you know, Rick, this isn't about, uh, you know, our church relative to the outside world. says, this is going on with a guy sitting right here, and it was a men's retreat right here at this men's retreat within our own congregation. We're having these kind of divisive discords, and that was what got Tim and I thinking, boy— this is just an absolutely pervasive thing in our culture right now, our inability to communicate that leads to animosity that, as we've seen recently, leads ultimately to violence. You know, and so, um, Tim, I'll push back and say, but isn't Jesus one and aren't we all one in Christ? And so um, it's not a house that could ever possibly be divided, right? Well, I like what C.S. Lewis had to say. He had a great analogy that there's the hallway of faith of things that we all can uh, subscribe to. These are confessional beliefs that Jesus is Lord, salvation is found in Christ alone, Jesus rose bodily from the grave. But then he said there's rooms off the hallway. And I would say Democrat, Republican, that's a room off the hallway, whether you're a Calvinist, Arminian, uh, egalitarian, complementarian, uh, whether you believe in big government, small government, right? Uh, whether you should wear a mask or not, that's rooms off the hallway. So these rooms off the hallway, Carmen, is where we have some really bitter disagreements with each other and even split from each other over issues that aren't the hallway, confessional beliefs, but these are the side issues. I think when Paul says, above all, protect unity, he's talking about the hallway, not the rooms off the hallway. Yeah, I think there's no question about that. That is that is very well said. Um, when you guys think about uh, how you would summarize winsome conviction, um, I want you to summarize it for pastors who are listening right now who are trying to shepherd congregations populated by um, by people who have moved out of the hallway and into the rooms off the hallway. How do how does winsome conviction draw those individuals back into a discourse with one another that's fruitful? Boy, I tell you, that's probably the thing Tim and I could both speak to. One of the things that first comes to mind is the distinction that we've been talking about here, the hallway in the rooms, is actually an incredibly helpful thing for pastors to be talking through with members of the congregation. Because what often happens is we think there's only two types of issues we encounter, either matters of uh, that are morally significant, and those are absolute convictions, or they're matters that are insignificant, merely matters of taste. And I think biblically, there's a whole pile of things in the area, what you might call personal convictions. So there's <laughs> nothing wrong with adopting a moral posture towards this or having a full zeal for it. You just need to understand that everybody else isn't going to share that with you. 
And you get an example of this in detail in Romans 14 that we spend two chapters unpacking in our book, where Paul's talking about days and diets. And these are very important issues in a Jewish Gentile church living in Rome. These are the hallmarks of, uh, you know, covenant people fidelity to the Jewish people and the Gentiles aren't getting it. One thing's are super important, the other one doesn't. Paul says, look, I want you both to be convinced in your own minds. And by the way, you'll stand before Jesus to give an account, but you do not have to convince each other. There's room in the overall uh, pursuit of following Christ for both perspectives on the best way forward. And that issue is a thing I think we have a really hard time wrapping our minds around church. And that's one of our hopes is we help pastors equip people to understand and appreciate viable differences in the narratives without denying the unity of the faith. Okay, that is really well said. That would be um, sort of a, a long, quiet conversation with myself um, to get to the place where I understand what you have just said, and I am then willing to humble myself and recognize that some of my convictions are personal. They are not. Um, they are not the dividing line of Jesus between the saved and the lost. They are not salvific. Uh, they don't rise to the level of uh, of the entirety of the scope of the redemptive gospel over all of human history. Um, and so, when we come back, can we um, can we touch on this distinction that needs to be made between? my convictions, which I, you know, which I hold, and what it sounds like you want me to do, which is compromise them. So that's my, <laughs> that's my speaking to give voice to some people who are listening right now. We'll be right back. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. Continuing my conversation with Tim Muehlhoff and Rick Langer were talking about their brand new book and project by the same name, Winsome Conviction. And yes, I have copies of the book to give away. Um, if you are having a hard time finding your feet in the conversations with other Christians today uh, about those things which seem to divide us, um, let me encourage you to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, we have a handful of copies of Winsome Conviction to give away today from our friends at InterVarsity Press. So, um, guys, here's the question that I uh, that I teed up. Um, it feels like you're asking me to compromise my convictions. Uh, yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, Carmen, I would say, so let me give you a quick illustration. Um, I believe in neighbor love. I believe in the second great commandment. That is for sure the hallway. Jesus's neighbor love commandment is the hallway. But now I also believe if we're to reach the transgendered community, that we need to have transgendered bathrooms in our churches. Okay. That's a room off the hallway because it's an expression of neighbor love. Now, what I need to ask the question is, how strongly do I feel about this? Do I feel that we, if my church doesn't have a transgendered bathroom, then I'm leaving the church? Now, I think that's between me and the Lord to wrestle with that. But I also need to understand there's good arguments against having a transgendered bathroom in a church. And do I trust my church leadership, which isn't always going to decide in my direction, um, do I submit myself or do I feel 
this issue is so strong for me and it's from the Lord that it's not the hallway, but I may need to leave the church I currently go to because I feel like this is such a strong conviction, but I know and recognize there are good people who disagree with me. That's where uh, the intellectual humility, I think, comes in. And I would, uh, you know, I would say that you, how you leave, if you choose to leave, how you leave matters as well. And you leave as, uh, you know, without causing division. And, yeah, and, and that's great. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say the beautiful thing about writing this book with Rick is not only is he an academic, but he was a pastor for 20 years. So Rick understands this from an insider's perspective that you're right, how you lead or how you leave or how you stay even if leadership disagrees with you and you choose to stay is of paramount importance. Okay, so that's really good, Tim. Let's um let's pivot there to a conversation about um uh the process, the democratic process a little bit through which like right I engage in um in healthy discourse and my uh my way, my conviction does not win on a particular day. I then, I then submit to the will of the whole. I mean, right? This is part of what I, I'm having such a hard time understanding um, in my conversations with others is the this not my president um, business. I mean, it, it happens every time a day like today rolls around, and about half the population, you know, will say, "Well, that's not my president. Not my president. It's our president. Like we are a people. We are a people." So can you can you help me a little bit with that? Yeah, Carmen, I I think you've put you've you've put that very eloquently actually in a very simple sense. At some point we do have to say, wait, I'm still an American and this person is the American president. It's actually true. And there's the, one of the things that's bothered me most and particularly in the last several years as people have talked about this for example relative to a president is the pride they take in saying this is not my my president. And you're like, boy, how do you understand our nation? How do you understand our democracy? It's exactly about, as a matter of fact, the way democracies work, it's exactly about saying, though I did not vote for this person, they are still indeed my representative, my president, my senator, whomever they may be. And we need to figure out some way forward together as opposed to simply saying, well, now I have my country over here and this person isn't my president. Well, who is then? And the animosity and division is just getting more and more intense, it seems, in our country over this. And the key part is just to be able to take the deep breath and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, Paul had a Roman emperor by the name of Nero that he had to deal with. And he didn't actually say he's not my emperor. But rather he said, look, give honor to those whom honor is due and we're to respect ruling authorities. And all those kind of language were built off the idea that, look, whether and in his case didn't he have a chance to vote for him, but the point is, nonetheless, I'm a Roman citizen. He's my emperor. End of story. And it's anchored at some point in the sovereignty of God rather than the sovereignty of ourselves over our individual vote and our individual sense of attachment to our leadership. And that is um, from the conversations that I'm having. You know, just yesterday, uh, uh, a friend calls and says, my neighbor is marching around. Um, he's got a flag in his hand. It's not an American flag. It's some sort of like Christianese flag. Um, he's going door to door, inviting people to pray with him, um, you know, for the nation that 
you know, that Trump would be able to remain president. Uh, this, the same person says, I have other neighbors who are not Christians and worked for the election of Joe Biden. Um, how do I witness to them without denying my brother who has these strong con- convictions about truth and righteousness and concerns that I might share um, on on issues of the day? This is what real people in my real community are dealing with. Yeah, and Carmen, I, I would say I, I thought what Rick said was great, but but listen, if I if I didn't vote for this president, I can still respectfully protest. I can still respectfully say, President Biden, I am unapologetically pro-life. I am mm-hmm. unapologetically traditional marriage, but I will protest in a respectful manner. I will always call you President Biden. I will always mm-hmm. give you the respect that is due. But listen, we're not going anywhere. We, we have strong biblical beliefs, and we will respectfully protest. Now, when you get two Christians who disagree with each other, this is where the hallway is paramount, because we, we have the Great Commission. We have the great first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're just going to have to be adults here, Carmen, and say Listen, we're going to have to just agree to disagree as we pursue Jesus's kingdom. And this may even mean that at times we can't be together because we so strongly feel. But again, how we separate, how we stay together is we're just going to have to realize good Christians disagree with each other. We see that in the scriptures. We see that in church history. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree. But I'll always give you respect, compassion, empathy, uh, even in our uh, strongest disagreements. Yeah, we might have to... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tim. I just going to make a quick comment. The illustration you gave of your, you know, kind of two Christian neighbors and then the third non-Christian person that the one's concerned about witnessing, uh, I think that's actually a wonderful opportunity for the person who's not running around with the flag and alienating, in this case, perhaps their neighbor, to just be able to speak for that person, though, and say, yeah, you know, he's a Christian as well. But he sees this issue really differently than I do, and he feels it very deeply, and he just feels like he has to do something. These are things he's chosen to do. And I understand how deeply he feels and is concerned about that, and though I would choose to do it a different way, I respect his choices in that regard. And in that sense, you can actually model a well-formed version of Christian disagreement to a non-Christian world that may actually make the gospel more attractive. Oh, I love that. All right. The book is Winsome Conviction. Tim Muehlhoff, uh, Rick Langer, thank you so much for being with us today. If you're interested in uh, entering the drawing for the copies of the book we have, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Also, check out at biola.edu, the Winsome Conviction Project. Um, Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Carmen. Thanks, absolutely. Absolutely. Go grab a cup of coffee. You know, you got that really cool <laughs> coffee shop there on campus that's super tasty. All right. Yes. All right. Talk to you guys soon. All right. We got a uh, we'll, we'll be right back to wrap it up. All right. Thanks for those of you texting in now. Just want to remind everybody we do have copies of Winsome Conviction uh, to give away. If you want to be more well-equipped to enter into the conversations of the day and do so in ways that honor Jesus, this is an excellent book. 877-933-2484. You just text the word book to that number. Um, and, and please check out uh, the Winsome Conviction page at biola.edu. 
These guys have um, a ton of podcasts that they've put together on each one of the points in the book and and the things that challenge us um, today as a people in terms of how we enter the conversations of the day, how to disagree without dividing, on and on and on. Um, Really, really, really good stuff. Um, All right. That is all we've got time for today here on Mornings with Carmen. What a blessing to have been included in um, in. In your time this morning, get into the Word of God before you get out there into the world that He so loves, and let us cultivate the mind of Christ in the matters of the day, Whoo! that we might live in the world in such a way that we demonstrate the love of God for everyone. To His glory and honor, have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.